Uh, what's up, you guys? We're here. Uh, it's E2 the podcast, Jalen Gasper. I'm always with you live. And um, today we're going to be talking about the third Democratic debates. And man, uh, even though I will say that, you know, these debates, like the third debates, has to had to be the most evenly balanced, meaning that, you know, everybody kind of performed around the same uh, objectively, in my opinion. What I would still say is that the debates totally need reform. And actually, the whole DNC needs reform on how they even look at, you know, or how we even, how they even conduct the presidential primaries as a whole. But, you know, that's a more comprehensive episode that I'm going to have to touch on on a later date. Because if I start talking about that now, I don't have any time to talk about, you know, how the debates actually went down. So, um, but what I will talk about um, after we're done talking about the debates... Um, I will, I'm going to briefly discuss, you know, my views on how we can reform just the debate portion of the Democratic primary so that the Democratic, like the Democratic debates could be more conducive for actually learning the candidates' platforms. And then I'm going to even explain the fault and how I feel about, you know, how we should reform the process. But um, we're going to go ahead and start things off with Andrew's Yang, Andrew Yang's big promise to give people a thousand dollars and turns out it is not cap so let's go now i know the first thing y'all gonna look at and y'all gonna look at the title and then y'all gonna kind of hear the episode and be like so do did you like the debates or did you not (laughs) uh overall um I, I, I kind of liked how everybody performed compared to the previous debates. Like I said, um, the debates were more evenly distributed on how each candidate performed. I, I do have, you know, people that I think, you know, outshined a lot of uh, everybody else. But, you know, just uh, as far as, you know, you know, it not being, you know, one sided how it was, you know, in the first two debates, it, it was really more, you know, leveled out. You know, a lot of people performed well. Um, but saying that, I would say is that, you know, objectively, how we do debates is just trash. You know, we, we can't learn and, you know, there's it, no way we can focus and actually learn, you know, the consequences and, you know, the pros of a, a candidate's platform. But before we get into all that, we're going to talk about Andrew Yang's big campaign promise. Yeah, one of the biggest things to come from that night was Andrew Yang. And I will honestly have to say that is that Andrew Yang really performed the best this night. Um, and, and he, he had to, because there was a lot of pressure on him. Um, he was the last one to enter the debate and, you know, he really has this movement behind him, you know, who really wants to see him stay in the democratic election. And I'm, I'm totally for it, even though I'm not all the way for Andrew Yang's plan and that plan being the freedom dividend, you know, I, I actually don't, agree with it at all i don't i don't feel like you know it it's you know viable to just strip somebody of their welfare and say that oh you can get a thousand dollars every month though when most people get up to a thousand or even more you know benefits from the government with their welfare um and then i just i and, and then just when it comes to his whole deal with automation and how he makes it like this um, impeding doom that's coming in like three years or two years when the economy says nothing about that. You know, you know, Paul Samuelson, uh, somebody that I usually uh, didn't don't really agree with. Um, an economist said that, you know, uh, automation, the fear of automation is all in thesis, basically. Um, you know, you, you feel that, you know, the robots are taking over <laughs> in a way, but the, the economy doesn't show it, you know. So it's just like, I, 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 you know, I don't agree with Andrew Yang in a lot, but when it comes to this, he's at least he's about his word and at least he's a principled guy. You know, if, basically, if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, if you watch the debates, you guys know that recently Andrew Yang promised uh, to do a freedom dividend from his campaign and give up to, I think, uh, what what was it? I forget how many families it was. Was it 12 or, or 7? Uh, but it it was wow. I should have looked that up before the episode, right? <laughs> but like, I think it was either like ten, twelve, or seven. I don't know around that number. But he's giving families uh up to 
uh, he's giving families a thousand dollars a month, basically, um, up to a year, meaning that they're going to end off with twelve thousand dollars, which is, you know, awesome. You know, it's awesome because it shows that. And, and I feel like, you know, essentially it's a good campaign strategy. You know, a lot of people is like, you know, what's well, a gimme? You know, he's just trying to get people because he's a low polling candidate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's campaigning. And like me and what I ask people who are down in that is like what I got to ask you is like, OK, what's the bad in giving somebody a thousand dollars a month? Like, let's see with the freedom dividend, like with the freedom dividend. I don't agree with that as a policy, but for a campaign to give somebody a thousand dollars a month. Just to give somebody a thousand dollars a month is awesome and it's amazing. So I feel like that's a great campaign strategy and a very uh it's a good grassroots idea too. Um so yeah, that was that was crazy. Um another thing that happened, um a big thing that happened was um Beto works emotional pill to um mandatory uh confiscations of AR fifteens and uh, first, I want to start off by saying that, man, Beto has really been doing his job as far as representing the cultural left. Now, I would objectively say that there's some people on the left who doubt his intentions, you know, but I'm I'm honestly say that I'm not one who doubts his intentions when talking about the cultural left. Being on his Senate campaign, I know Beto has always been for the cultural left and, you know, you know, just by his rhetoric when he talks about things, when he talks about the mortality rate of um, black mothers when it comes to um, after pregnancy and when he talks about, you know, just, you know, the different things that we face as people. And, and, and he comes at it from a very cultural leftist standpoint. Uh, you know, I just wish that some of his economic and political policies would match that. But I mean, again, um it it was a really emotional pill though when he uh when they were talking about gun reform but here's the thing um i i don't believe in mandatory confiscations uh mandatory confiscations to me by definition is authoritarian um when we but because but but don't get me wrong you like you guys heard in the previous episode i am for banning the ar15 i am for banning you know armor light weapons you know which are basically civilian, uh, uh, which is basically, you know, m- military weapons used for civilian purposes that can kill people at a higher destructive capacity than, say, a handgun. So I'm totally for banning the AR-15, but as we go about it, I to- I feel it's supposed to be a voluntary, It's a, it should be a voluntary buyback program. I do not feel that, you know, we have the right to just confiscate, you know, guns from people even if even if because the statistics are those guns are normally concentrated in a certain demographic of people um so you know it's not like a lot of people you know are gonna uh i'm not gonna say because it is a lot of people who have these guns (laughs) but what i want what i mean is that it's not like everybody have these guns has these guns like you know what i'm saying so even though a lot of people do it's a very concentrated population of people and it's not everybody and it's not the majority so you know when when you look at this i really feel like you know voluntary buybacks would be just better in principle because it's just like you know it's not like everybody has you know these weapons so it's just like for us to blindly confiscate them you know you know without us having a real gun registry i just you know i wonder how that's gonna work and so um i know the the parkland uh kids that i love i love the parkland kids man um the parkland students who are you know advocating for gun reform i love them because they are the true definition of organizing and activism but um, my only thing is, it's just like when you're whoever is for mandatory confiscations, they, they need to pre- present an argument or present uh, a way how we're going to go about mandatory confiscations without intruding on civil liberty. You know, and I feel like you have to make that argument if you're going to be for mandatory confiscations. Um, when we're talking about winners and losers of the debate, though. <clears throat> Um, it's not a certain candidate that was on a debate stage. Um, the loser of uh the debate uh that happened last week or uh, was definitely Donald Trump. Uh Donald Trump definitely lost. Um I-, I think the candidates like 
talked about him like over like 20 times cons- uh, collectively. Um, I know Kamala Harris talked about him or, or, or brought his name up exactly 11 times and Bernie Sanders five, brought his name up around five times. So, you know, it, it, he was definitely the loser of, of last night's debate. And like what I, I like about last night's debate, which I think a lot of people did, it was less about, you know, attacking each other and just about, you know, explaining your platform. And that's why I feel like at the end of the day, the candidate, the candidates themselves perform better. But at the end of the day, no matter how well the candidates perform, the debate is just not a conducive space for learning these things. So yes, a lot of candidates perform well. Um, but if we're going to talk about the winner of last night's debate or not last night's last week's debate, definitely Barack Obama, man, Barack Obama, before we even before people even talked about anything like when it was for as far as healthcare you know people were just like you know I just first want we just have to thank Obama for starting this fight which is true you know I feel like the left has a lot of critiques on the Obama legacy as they should the cultural left should have a lot of critiques on the Obama legacy but in in that it has to be objective and you have to see the good that came out the Obama legacy and um you know, that being the ACA, you know, that being, you know, the fact that somebody actually focused on the idea of universal health care and, you know, but for candidates to just basically like DR Barack Obama, like the whole night is like, OK, I get it, bro. But dang, like, <laughs> like, tell me why your plan is better. <laughs> like, dang. Uh, so definitely yeah, Trump lost last uh, last week and Obama definitely won. Um, one of the other big things that kind of happened was, um, Castro and Joe Biden, Julian Castro and Joe Biden got into it about, um, healthcare, um, because basically, you know, Joe Biden was getting, uh, was fighting back, uh, Bernie Sanders and, and Warren, Elizabeth Warren on, uh, healthcare. And he was doing a pretty good job on the offense. You know, uh, his defense was terrible. Like he he was not prepared for you know Warren to be able to answer his rebuttals and and Sanders too. But you know his his offense was amazing. But it's Joe Biden. Joe Biden objectively, I would have to say, every presidential debate he's been in, he 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 rocks it. I mean, definitely, and don't let him go against a Republican. He'll definitely rock it. He'll definitely rock a Republican. But, and I'm talking about like a fiscal conservative, not somebody like Donald Trump, you know, like somebody like, you know, Paul Ryan, when he, when he debated Paul Ryan, that was embarrassing for, for Paul. But, um, so yeah, Biden has always been good on the offense, but when, you know, Castro rebutted him and said that, you know, you know, the problem with your insurance is that your, your insurance, you know, doesn't allow people to, you know, your, your insurance is basically telling people to ha- they have to opt in for a program with mine is like they're automatically automatically enrolled. And so um, Biden said, no, that's not the case. But, you know, he actually said that like two minutes. He actually said what Julio Castro was saying like two minutes ago. So Julio Castro was like, bro, so what you forgot what you said two minutes ago. And so that's what just started Castro being hard on Biden. And like, you know, everybody was just talking about Castro like, oh, that was mean spirited. And he shouldn't have came off like that. There was no reason. Bro, it's a debate. Like Castro didn't say anything like disrespectful. Like it's like y'all talking about uh, Castro was being so mean to Joe Biden. And it just wasn't fair, man. Oh, my God. Oh, the guy. Bro, shut the fuck up. Like, it's a debate. Yeah, y'all wasn't saying that when Kamala was dunking on Joe about his racist history. Okay, let me say that lightly. About his, you know, bad history. Like, you know, on the issues. His terrible issue, uh, His terrible history on the issues. Y'all wasn't saying that. But now, oh, Castro do it is is like, oh, somebody who probably leans further left than Kamala, you know, not that much, but further, you know, it, you you bring people, as soon as he does it, it's like, oh, man, he, that was mean, that was rude. That's not rude. That was absolutely true. And while I would objectively say that Biden care would have a system implemented to where 
it would be easier for people without health insurance to opt in. It's still going to leave people uninsured. It's still going to leave. It's, it's only going to leave up to 90 people. It is, his, his insurance payment plan is only, and even in, in their eyes, his in, the Biden care insurance plan is, is set to basically cover 90% of Americans. Okay, Medicare for all covers all percent of Americans. So it's like even, you know, you, when you talk about people who are doing this shitty dual system like Castro or Beto or, you know, Beto Jr. I mean, Pete Buttigieg. And so when you look at that, it's like no Biden compared to like we could all debate about like I like. So Castro is basically like, you know, I disagree with Sanders and I disagree with Warren. But but for damn sure. Your 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 plan is for damn sure the worst plan that is on the stage right now. So you know, I I just hate how people were like just attacking Castro, saying that he was mean spirited. It's not mean spirited, like Castro said. It's a it's a freaking debate, bro. So please get over it. Please get over it. Um, and um, another thing that came up during uh the topic uh during the debates was um ending the filibuster. Because um, I, I think they were uh, basically talking about gun rights. And then, you know, you know, one of the moderators asked the, a, a very pragmatic question that I didn't mind at all. Um, and the, the question was, uh, how can, you know, we can ensure that, you know, we, you know, get to gun reform with this Republican legislation and with the filibuster? And of course, well, Elizabeth Warren has been very vocal about the filibuster um, and... My only thing about that is, and I understand, like, people people are going to say, oh, bro, you're just, you just want the filibuster to stay because Bernie wants it to stay. No, it's, listen, listen to what the moderator said, why Bernie disagreed with it. He said that Bernie, because Bernie did say this, Bernie said the, the fact that Donald Trump's, Donald Trump supports ending the filibuster, we should be worried about that. See, and that's the thing with, like, these, these law like law laws in general. When you think about them, you have to think about across the board, cause you gotta still remember that this is a two party state system. Like it's gonna be Republican and Democrat, and it flips constantly, constantly. Like uh, uh, optimistically, you know, optimistically or positive, like like thinking positive, I would love for us to beat Donald Trump and you know have a democratic and uh, have you know nothing but a leftist establishment, you know, you know for the rest of America. I would love that, uh, you know, thinking uh, like optimistically, optimistically. But you know, you know, we can't think in you know, you know milk and cookies and rainbows and unicorns when think about the promised land. No, we have to think, you know, practical at some form. So understanding that, it's like, look at Bernie. What the filibuster does, and which I agree with, it protects outlying our minority opinions. And, and and even though, yeah, it seems like messed up and it seems corrupt and it seems like, oh, how can just somebody just sit up there and talk, you know, to stall a bill that that's messed up. It seems like that, but only it only seems that way, you know, if you're on the wrong side of it. Like, yeah, if, you know, Ted Cruz did a fucking filibuster and we would all be upset because it's like, why are you doing a filibuster? Oh, so we won't vote on gun reform. But. You know, what if the work, the vote, the roles were reversed? So you got to think about that Noam Chomsky rule. Which were the, the roles were, were reversed. So what if we have a Republican establishment like we do currently, and now we don't have the power to filibuster? We don't have the problem to filibuster in an anti, you know, pro-choice uh, law. We don't have the right to filibuster a social conservative law like, you know, implementing, you know, a heartbeat bill, which was implemented in Georgia. Implement, just imagine if Republicans tried to implement that shit nationally and we didn't have a filibuster and like they just had the majority of the Congress. No, Elizabeth Warren, I absolutely disagree with doing away with the filibuster. And, and, and that, that's, again, a, a lot of stuff in thesis makes sense. At the time, like, cause it's like 
right now for, you know, Republicans to try to stall bills just because just so they won't get voted for is absolute BS. But I mean, at the end of the day, we have to protect the filibuster because the filibuster protects outlying opinions and minority opinions in Congress. So we have to keep the filibuster. Um, What I... uh, What we can kind of discuss now is how they each candidate performed. Um, like I said, the winner was definitely Barack Obama and the loser was definitely Trump. Uh, just, you know, how, on, on how everything went down. But what I, what I will split it up into is people who were talking about policy and who, who were just dominating the debate with policy. And versus people who kind of just lack, you know, substance. And they were just saying, like, quotables to, you know, get people, you know, hot and, and you know, gotchas. Um, but definitely the policy monsters definitely have to be number one, Bernie Sanders. Um, Bernie Sanders was just, man, like, like I said, even though Joe Biden was on the offense, Bernie was on the defense. And, you know, Bernie was, you know, prepared for a lot of stuff that Joe Biden had to come. Like when Joe Biden said, uh, well, you know, your, your plan is going to cost $30 trillion. Uh, Bernie Sanders was like, bro, the status quo <laughs> was, is going to cost us like up to $50 trillion. And objectively, I think I, I didn't know the number was that big. Um, but I did. I just looked it up now. Like um, that, that those numbers have been regurgitated. But the numbers that I've personally seen and that I feel are more solid is that... Um, that uh, on America, America's current pace, uh, if we don't change our health insurance or, or the way we do health insurance, we're expected to spend up to uh, 35 to 40 trillion dollars in 10 years. And again, the Sanders plan is only 30 trillion through 10 years. So he was he was ready for it. And he was like, you know, we spend twice uh, per capita than any other developed nation on, you know, health care. Which is absolutely ludicrous. So he was prepared. Um, so he was definitely a monster, a debate monster. Um, really had substance. Sanders did an amazing job. Even with that Darth Vader-ass voice, bro. Man, Kyle Kalinske and whoever in your camp, bro, Nina Turney, they need to tell you, like, bro, you, you, you can't scream at town halls like a day before you have a debate, bro. Like, you got to rest that shit. <laughs> like, you already go rest that shit, bro. Like, man, I love you, Bernard, but rest your voice. We want to hear you, you know, clearly, you know. Um, but another debate monster, um, like I said kind of earlier, you know, I'm going to skim through this one because I don't like this guy, but Joe Biden. Joe Biden really did good on the offense a lot when he came, like, I would I will objectively say though he did fumble that question when it came to racial inequality. So it's like I shouldn't even call him a debate monster for that cuz that shit was terrible. Like terrible. Like it was so terrible like I thought about playing it on here, but I was like fuck that. <laughs> like no, like we're not going to play that bullshit out here. Like it was terrible. Like you didn't know what he was saying. But when it just came to the, definitely the healthcare debate, he really defended himself well. Well, uh, he was really good on the offense when it came to the healthcare debate. Um, uh, even gun reform, he was really good because it's like, you know, he did that kind of like, you know, good sport thing to where like, it, it wasn't about him when it came to gun reform. He even pointed out Bethel and said, Bethel, you did a good job when it came to the El Paso, you know, after the El Paso shooting, how you was just there for your community. Um, so yeah, that was that Joe Biden definitely did a good job on being on the offensive health care. Um, uh, but uh, people like Elizabeth Warren, yeah, she was a monster too. And what I specifically liked about her is in the healthcare debate is that, you know, when people say Elizabeth Warren can explain stuff better than Bernie Sanders, that's absolutely true. <laughs> that's absolutely true. Again, I'm a Bernie bro first. And then second, I support to- and then second, I still support Tulsi Gabbard. But you know, everything about practically, you know, my second choice is Elizabeth Warren because we see that you know she has the second chance after Bernie to win the election. So, uh, but what I what I really liked about Elizabeth Warren is that 
she just explains stuff so much better than Bernie. It's like when, you know, she Biden kept saying, you know, you know, how, how are you going to pay for it? And, or, you know, it's going to cost the middle class tax, you know, the, the ta- middle class taxpayers more on their taxes. And then, you know, she explained that eloquently, you know, saying that, you know, no, like, yes, like the middle class taxes will raise, but you probably, you, you, the whole price of health insurance is going down tremendously. So you'll be saving more on your dollar. And, and, and if you think she's incorrect, check this statistic out. Over 66% of Americans who have debt say that that debt is attributed to medical bills and out-of-pocket expenses. <laughs> so she's absolutely right. People literally go in death, oh, de- into debt and death too over medical bills. And the reason why I say death is because there's literally been cases to where people have died because they didn't want their families paying these long medical bills. Died as a committed suicide, bro. Because they didn't want their families to pay these medical bills. So that was just beautiful. Um, it's just, again, and then even when she talked about choice, it was, it, it was eloquent. It was eloquent. She, she brought up the fact that a lot of people like Joe Biden and Amy Klobuchar try to, you know, debate and say, uh, even Pete Buttigieg and better, better work, better work, they like to say things like, oh, well, uh, supporting the Medicare for all system is essentially, you know, not supporting the, are not feeling, are uh, believing that Americans don't, are not smart enough to make this decision by themselves. And it's just, uh, that's when Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders proposed, like, what are you talking about, bro? Under your current health, in, under current health insurance programs, you can't choose your doctor. <laughs> you can't choose your specialist. You can't choose certain specialists. Like under current health insurance programs, there are obligations based on how much money you can put into that health insurance. So what are you talking about? And then it's like again the the idea of choice. If you really want a free choice of what doctor you go to or what specialist you go to, Medicare for All is the best system to do that with because it actually advocates for free choice of doctor. When we're talking about free choice of plans, it's like we don't trust. It's like because Pete Buttigieg literally told Sanders, like, it's just the, 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 the problem with your damn Bill Sanders is that and I'm going to get to that. OK, hold on. Let, let, let me get to that. OK. No, I'm gonna get to that later. I'm, I'm gonna get to that later. But anyway, Peter Pete Buttigieg said the 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 main problem with your your damn Bill Sanders is that you know it it, it kind of restricts the American people from choice. And how, when current private health insurance plans give you no choice, the only choice you have is by buy-in and how much money you could put into the system. You know what people are talking about when they talk about choice. And I think I discussed this before, but just in case I haven't, they're talking about the plans that they have. What is covered in that plan? What's covered in that insurance? So it's like, oh, well, yeah, Americans should have the right to choose whether they want their, you know, preconditions covered or Americans should have the right to choose if they want if they if their uh if their leg gets amputated and you know they if they want to cover that or not they have the right to choose that you know or if you get a brain tumor and you get cancer you know they they get the right to choose whether they want coverage for that look you see how dumb and daltish that sounds like come on come on but yeah, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders again for the third debate in a row really did great um, defending uh, how Medicare for all. But I would objectively say that Joe did a good job at you know just being on the offense. I would say that um, uh, another debate monster is Amy Klobuchar, um, another person who was stronger in the offense um, when it came to healthcare. And just overall, like, see, you know, even when it came to, you know, I like Amy Klobuchar because it's like she doesn't compromise in her ideals, you know, just for the sake of, you know, of a progressive name. Like, 
you know, people like Christine Gillibrand, she totally compromised, you know, just so she could try to get to to get some attention and she didn't get any, you know, so she compromised. Um, at times, I feel like Kamala Harris compromises uh, and tries to, you know, appeal to that progressive wing while also appealing to that, you know, centrist wing. But, you know, Amy Klobuchar, straight up, like, I'm a martyr, dim, and I know what the fuck I'm talking about. So it's like, you know, you know, I'm a, I, even if you end up, you know, having, even though I feel like Bernie Sanders has a better plan than her, and Elizabeth Warren has better plans than her, I, I honestly do feel she knows what she's talking about. Because even when you just look at her history, um, when it comes to legislation, she is an amendment queen, uh, like Bernie Sanders is an amendment king. You know, they both worked on legislation that was uh, targeted to... Um, um, my bad. Uh, but yeah, I was just saying, Amy Klobuchar, really good candidate uh, for modern Dems. Um, better candidate for modern Dems than Joe Biden. So like, if, you, if you're like a modern Dem who leans like center-left, um, like a centrist kind of, uh, Amy Klobuchar is a, a good pick over Biden. Um, uh, yeah, in, in my opinion. But um, another uh, debate monster last night was, again, Julian Castro. Um, if I would have to choose a performer from the night from the debate, I would I would probably choose him to put who as in as in who performed the best, at least you know, uh, real solid debate monster. Um, he really gave Biden that work. Um, this is the second debate in a row where he's given Biden that work, and I just feel like you know I just feel like the the people who judge Castro for his aggressiveness, it, I feel like that's very unfair, you know, because it's like people like Biden are allowed to be aggressive. Um, you know, uh, shit, people like, you know, even Kamala was allowed to be progressive, uh, aggressive, um, during the first debates. And, you know, it, it, it just, I just feel like at the end of the day, it, it, it's just not fair to say, to treat Julian Castro, you know, differently just for being an aggressive debater. Um, me personally, I'm an aggressive debater. So it's just like, you know, if Julian Castro would have done that to me, you know, I would have been fine because I understand the sport of debate. And that's what he meant. He's like, you know, this is a presidential, you know, democratic debate. Like, you know, you have to respect the sport, the sport of debate. So when we call it, when we call out fallacies, we just call out fallacies. When we call out, you know, inconsistencies, we call out inconsistencies. Like, that's what happens in debates. Like, when, 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 when you don't have principal, you know, uh, debaters... You know, and and then another debater can call you out on your inconsistency. That happens, so it's just like, yeah, keep the heat off of Castro, man. He and he's actually a really good candidate with a really good immigration program and a really good education program. Now, the people that just like total substance to me, as far as I ain't hear like a damn thing, uh, like <laughs> a damn plan for anything. Better or work, I know y'all love him. I love my man's too. You know, I, I, I was un, I worked for the Senate campaign, but that that dude lacks substance for real, for real. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. He has a plan for nothing. He regurgitates a lot of things that are true. But it like, you know, but it's just like, OK, what we're going to do about it, though. And then it's like for him, for his most, you know. I guess popular platform uh, idea right now to be mandatory confiscations of AR-15s. That says a lot. That says a lot. And it's like, and he's from Texas. So it's like, uh. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. Uh, I really want to see more from Beto O'Rourke after this election. I just don't want to see him become president um, because he lacks substance. He, you know, he doesn't really have, you know, a substantive platform to stand on. Um, another person who lacks substance, Pete Buttigieg. Bro, I hate Peter Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg. I'm gonna I'm start calling him that. Yeah, Pete Booty Boo, bro. He get on my my nerves. Pete Booty Boo. Because it's like, all right, what I was talking about earlier is that Pete Booty Boo, when Julian Castro attacked Biden initially, uh, Pete Booty Boo wanted to stand up and say, oh, wait, see, this is why people hate debates. No, that's, this is not why, that's not why people hate debates. Like, Julian Castro was... <laughs> was marking out an inconsistency in Joe Biden's rhetoric. Like, 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 no, that's people want that. Like, we want that. 
But he want to say this is why people are discussing with the debates because they they all want gotcha moments. We've all focused on gotcha moments and you know you know beating each other down and seeing who could come out on top. Like I understand that if we're if I understand that frame. Like yeah, I don't want people just talking down on candidates all night. Like that's that's trash. But if you could make the difference, but the factual difference and the historical difference between you and your candidates, nothing is wrong with that. And then, it, but it's funny that he said that because soon as he said that, you know, we're all focused on gotcha moments. When arguing healthcare with Biden, I mean not Biden Sanders, he literally was like, "Well, the problem with your damn Bill Sanders, ha 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 ha." So it's like that. That wasn't for cool points. Pete Booty Boo, like that wasn't for, you know, you know, uh, cool points and, 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 and score points. That absolutely was. So it's just like, you know, for, for you to turn around and, you know, contradict yourself in the same debate shows like you don't lack substance. You're just this Beto O'Rourke Jr. who does Beto better than Beto because he, <laughs> we're going to get to that another day. But Another person who lacks substance is Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris absolutely lacks substance um, at this point. Um, the the most of the debate for Kamala Harris <laughs> was laughing at her own terrible ass jokes and uh, fucking talking about Donald Trump all the time. Like, you know, yeah, I understand Donald Trump is a bad person, but let's communicate with policy like. You know, it's not just enough to say he is a bad person and this is what he did. You know, this is what he did. And it, it, it wasn't fair to the American people. And if that's what we need to focus on, like, yeah, we can focus on both. We're, we're not, you know, we're not myopic. So it's like we can focus on, you know, the now, which is beating Donald Trump and the future, which is, you know, the structural change that we need in our society. So it's just like. You know, yeah, I hate when people say, like, no, we need to focus on how we're going to beat Trump. Like, 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 why we can't do both? And I'm like, I, I and, and I'm like, I, I, I would think, you know, look, I'm just a progressive organizer. I'm not a consultant with any campaign. You know, I never won the presidency. But I would think the way to beat Donald Trump is to have a better platform than him, probably. I don't know. I don't know. That's just me. Oh, that's just, you know, I don't know, that's just me. But, yeah, outside of that, Kamala Harris really had no substance last night. She literally said, a, uh, did a yes we can joke to Joe Biden, and, like, it landed flat. And then I'm I'm pretty sure the only people who clapped in the audience was her fucking staff. And, oh, yeah, again, people who gauge these debates, one thing that I hate about these debates, is, which we're, we're going to um talk about, in a minute here, um, one thing I hate about this debate is the how people, uh, the people who attend and how they get invited. So it's like when y'all hear claps doing the debates, most likely that's just people from their camp, and that's even as a Bernie bro. Well, okay, let me not say that. People like Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders might legit get audience claps, but just because they are legit the front runners. But a lot of people like Amy Klobuchar. Pete Bootaboo, yeah, their their camp is there clapping for them. Um, so yeah, um, Kamala Harris, trash. She lacks substance, even in her plans. Like her criminal justice reform is like Bernie Sanders' criminal justice reform, but light. Is like is like diet Bernie Sanders' uh, criminal justice reform, and even her Medicare for all. Bill is privatizing Medicare, Medicare, which kind of defeats the purpose of Medicare for all. But whatever. Um, and another person who kind of, you know, lacked substance and kind of didn't like kind of did good, but really lacked substance was Cory Booker. Um, I love hearing all the stuff that he did in his hometown, but I would love for once he communicate with a policy idea rather than, uh, you know, a personal anecdote. Uh, of you know how he saved his city from ruin, like it, I, like that's it, you know that that's it for me. I I would just love for him to start you know communicating policy. Um, the gun registry thing is actually a really good idea. I I really uh agree with that. So I didn't know he was one of the first ones to lead that. 
So are we talking about that? So yeah, that's actually a good idea. I'm actually really down for gun registry. Um, so that's really a good idea, but you know, not really, you know, too substantive, um, you know, really still like substance, substance to me. Um, and you know, the person who's kind of in the middle for me, honestly, has to be the person I didn't talk about a lot in this debate because I'm confused by him and I really don't understand him yet. And that's Andrew Yang. Um, I, I wouldn't really say Andrew Yang lacks substance because that's not the case. Um, because he does bring a, a business uh, type populism to the stage, you know, uh, and this this is really new um, for politics. Um, uh, unless uh, he kind of reminds me of like Ross Perot and how like Ross Perot kind of like, you know, used his business intellect or his business IQ to really work the stage. Um, but like Ross Perot, it led me that led kind of led me to have a lot of disagreements with him. Um, just as far as the economy, how the economy should work. Um, but Andrew Yang, Andrew Yang was a very, very confusing candidate. Uh, not like he didn't like dominate the debate stage last night, but every time he talked, it was good. Like he said some good stuff. And the thing is, it wasn't adversarial, adversarial, I'm sorry, adversarial to any particular candidate. No, it was just like, hey, bro, like, you know, I'm Andrew Yang and I'm smart and this is my idea for the world. So it's just like, you know, I, 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 when when he's proposing and when he's talking, he sounds like an emeritus of business, which is awesome. But it's just like when it's time to debate with like economists and, you know, policymakers about his ideas, he just doesn't always, you know, execute and come out on top. So it's like that's why Andrew Yang is like really in the middle for me when it comes to, you know, he's not really a debate monster, really wasn't. Um, but he definitely didn't like just completely lack substance. Like he, he, he does have substance to him. It's just something very fresh and something very new. And I feel like that's why he has a movement behind him and kind of like kind of while Ross Perot had a move. Well, Ross Perot was a billionaire, so that's why he had a movement behind him. But anyway, yeah, Andrew Yang is still Yang gang. I really hope to see you in the next debates. I hope DNC doesn't black you out. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's really it for like the debates, the debates. Um, besides that, uh, Bernie Sanders really pumped Biden, by the way, uh, in their back and forth. Um, definitely, it's like, you can just see this, like, it's like, I understand that Joe Biden is the default vote, but every time Biden and Bernie Sanders debate and have that head to head, it's like, you're seeing like opposite worlds. Like you're seeing like the the yin and the yang dragons or you know what I'm saying? Like it's just like you're seeing like you're seeing basically the antonym of Joe Biden when Bernie Sanders goes at Joe Biden. And it's just amazing. It's just freaking amazing. So um, he definitely won that. But um, when we come back, we're going to quickly talk about what I feel, what I'm kind of my disdain of the debates and where that disdain comes from and what I feel like we could do to fix it. So, let's go. No, yeah, um I've for a while now with each debate, it's in- incrementally have be- has become trash to me. Um like just step by step, this is just becoming more trash and more more trash and less digestible. Um and it's not, and it's like not from the candidates because, like I said earlier, the candidates actually perform better than they normally do. Um, uh, but when it came to just how the debates are structured, it's absolute trash, absolute trash. Um, and you know, some of the reforms I feel like we can actually do to kind of change the debates um, is number one, add more time to the debates because. You know, a lot of these issues are so comprehensive for the American people to understand is that, you know, you we can't just get it in, you know, that short period of time. You know, we can't, you know, candidates need longer time to speak. Candidates need longer time to explain their platforms. And, you know, you know, just. 
people need, you know, you know, better ways to digest all of this information because the average listener doesn't understand, you know, the ins and outs of healthcare or the ins and outs of political or economic theory. So it's just like we have to kind of make it longer so it can actually become a learning environment for people to learn. Um, what I also feel like we what we should do, we should do real time fact checking. And um, basically what that would be is what it says is that, you know, when, when a, a candidate, you know, uh, regurgitates a statistic of some sort, they'll have on time real life fact checking of that statistic for clarification. So, you know, there's nobody just leading, you know, people to darkness with lies. We don't we don't want a Donald Trump, you know, in the Democratic debates. So logical fact checking. Uh, that'll be a great uh move, and 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 I'm not saying people were, you know, spewing lies or whatever, but it just when it comes to a lot of debates that get gridlocked, you know, they get gridlocked because people don't know the issues and people don't know the empirical based evidence behind the issues. So since they don't know these issues, it's like they like, well, I mean, Biden still did good, so you know, it could they could really either are be they could both be right, Biden and Sanders could be when that's just not the case. You know, the case is that, you know, Biden had a lot of fallacies in his argument, um, that could have easily been dismantled with easily with just with fact uh real time fact checking. Um uh another thing uh is to allow candidates to bring teaching material. Um when when I say teaching material I mean things like you know, PowerPoint slides. I don't believe that, you know, candidates need to be behind a desk. Uh, I said a desk, a podium. I feel like they should, you know, it should be like a forum um, style to where it's engaging uh, to the audience. And, you know, the candidates should be allowed to bring empirical uh, based research, you know, to show the audience and show the viewers at home. Um because we you we can have fact checks all day, but what's better better than you know a candidate showing you the empirical based evidence in front of your face rather than just leading you to it, right? So I feel like that'll be awesome, and um, also I feel like um, we should, and this is really the last uh, thing that we that that um, I feel we should do, but I not the last thing as in importance, but I feel like. It's the most important one because, and that's basically just offer all the candidates this same amount of speaking time. Like, I hate, you know, having this these debates to where, like, I hear Andrew Yang, like, once, right? Or I hear, you know, Amy Klobuchar, like, once, you know, or same thing for uh, Beth O'Rourke or Pete Bootyboo. Like, even though I don't like some of these candidates... Like, I just don't want to hear from Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders all day. Like, if there's other people weren't running for president, like, let them talk, you know, and and Kamala Harris, because they give her they give her a lot of time to say absolutely fucking nothing. And so start like distributing that time better. And, and, And really, I should just really it should be a form style to where like all candidates get the same amount of time. Um, I know that would be something hard to do and uh, because, you know, uh, it's hard to like really manage time on the live programming and, and live broadcasting. But that's why uh, my my uh, honestly, my last uh, critique of the de- of, of how the debates work and what I feel like we should change or reform about the debates is we should start streaming the debates. I guess we I guess we already stream it, you know. As far as ABC streams it on YouTube, but when it comes to the debates, we need to stream them online. Yes, and the the, and I also feel like the commentators or the moderators should be you know prominent political commentators, and not just you know mainstream media. I feel like you know these debates if they were live streamed online on YouTube. You know, it will first have more traction because, you know, people rather look at a whole they'll they'll watch a whole live stream before they'll watch a whole whole uh, debate that's broadcast on television. That's just how the world world is working now. And we're shifting from cable TV. That's just how how it's going to work. That's just what's going on. Um, But, yeah, I really feel like, you know, that could really help a lot. And just on how many people watch it and how many people uh 
stay in, in, in the retention rate of how many people would keep on watching it. Um, but the flaw that I know with all of this is that uh, it's, it's all good in theory, you know, you know, because what I proposed is basically more time for the debates, uh, real time fact checking, allow candidates to bring teaching material um, like empirical based evidence and offer all candidates speaking time. And uh, lastly, um, what did I just say? Um, Because uh, I didn't put it on here with the rest of them. I just kind of came up with it myself. Um, darn it. I forgot what I just said. Yeah, that sucks. What the? Oh, and my dumbass, live stream debates. We should live stream all the fucking debates. So we, I feel like that would just bring a more pool of, for more people to watch. But the only flaw about this, all of this is what? Is that sadly, what this might end up doing is detracting people from the debates. Because it's like, even though it's better for learning, a lot of people don't want to learn. It's like, you know, then like when I, if I present these ideas and I say, uh, this would be a better way for people to learn about the debates, you also got to consider, do people want to learn or do they just like the sport of electing the president, you know, and they don't really care about actually learning about the issues. So, I mean, hey, depending on what you agree with, what you like, what, 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 you know, you are into politics for, you probably agree with me and you probably don't. And um, I, w- I would love to hear your opinion on, you know, my proposed ideas. Um, if you absolutely hate them, I would love to hear why you absolutely hate them. When you kind of agree with them, you know, I want to hear why, what, you know, what you don't agree with and what you do agree with. And if you just straight up agree with it all, like, you know, you know, tell me why, you know, tell and and, and then add, you know, some of, some things you would like to reform about, you know, the democratic debates. But um that's really it for today. Um uh thank you guys so much for uh listening to the whole episode. Um remember to follow the podcast at E to the Podcast on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Yes, that's E to the Podcast on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. So um thank you so much uh for you guys staying with us. And we are out.